Welcome to episode six of the Let's Get Down to Business podcast. I'm your host today, Charlotte Newman, and today I want to chat to you about around the topic of how or when to take on your first employee. To help with this, I'm joined today by Donna, the HR manager at A4G LLP. Hi, Donna. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And you? I'm very well, thank you. Well, I want to just kick off with some stats for today's podcast. So as of the beginning of 2020, it was estimated there were 6 million businesses in the UK, of which 5.94 million are small, meaning less than 50 employees. Out of these, around 1.15 million businesses employ anywhere between one to nine members of staff, which doesn't include the um, owner. And that is actually 48% of the total employment market. So Donna, with these statistics in mind, the likelihood is that our listeners are businesses of at least one owner, and they're looking to take on their first member or members of staff. However, what factors or prompts would we need to be looking out for as as to why it would be an appropriate point to take on a member of staff? Thank you, Charlotte, for those figures. That's really interesting. Um, I'd say for small businesses where owners have currently done everything, it's such a huge decision in taking on their first employee and probably something they, they keep brushing under the carpet as they're worried and concerned about what they need to do. Um, but, you know, this will affect the businesses more in the long run as they're probably turning away sales, maybe struggling with the basic day-to-day workloads and not actually making any progress in any particular role, especially if it's something they don't like or they don't have the skills in. Um, and eventually that could lead to disappointing their own customer needs and wants. Mm. I think if any business owner is feeling this type of pressure, then it's probably the time when they need to reassess where an extra pair of hands will help and will be beneficial to the business. This then frees them up to concentrate more on the bigger picture rather than getting caught up in all the day-to-day basics. Oh, amazing. I think that's really interesting to point out, you know, at what point uh, the the business owners will be looking on to taking on a member of staff. But how would, how would a business owner know whether they can actually afford a new member of staff? Okay, so this is probably where you need to consider what role you need to actually recruit for. Um, As depending on, say, the experience and qualifications, even down to the location and hours that you probably need, recruiting that right colleague will determine their actual salary expectations. And this is what you then can budget for in your business forecast. In pulling together what I'd say is a, a detailed job description of the tasks that you want the employee to undertake, that is where you can understand where the salary banding is going to be targeted at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, identifying that right role to recruit is probably the best thing you can do because it frees up that owner's time uh, in dealing with the basics. Like I said before, with the admin work, taking calls from customers, because you know if they're caught up in these day-to-day work, then they haven't got the opportunity to propel their business forward. So identifying that role and the gap where the support is needed is certainly the first step. Uh, and the rest will then follow, you know, as in, do they need to be part time? Could the work be outsourced? But but as I say, it's identifying that first bit. Where do you need to fill that gap? OK, that's awesome. And I think with most business owners, they are looking at, you know, replacing a bit of themselves and identifying that need or want to take on a member of staff for something that they do. So what sort of experience do we need to ensure our potential employees may have had? Okay, that's a really good question. So I think once you've identified that role within the business, you then need to actually look at the the vacancy, the advertisement that you're going to put out there. And this is where you start looking at what essentials you need to fill that role. So what type of experience does that employee need? 
do they need experience in say a particular industry or niche role you know are you looking for an employee with x number of years experience or do they need a certain qualification these are all the areas i think you need to consider in finding that right person for your business and if you've mapped out the job description clearly you can start to look at the different options then of filling that role, such as recruiting maybe a new employee who may only be part qualified, who could be then on a reduced salary, but then you can train and develop them your way. So the key is that job description and identifying the required essentials, followed then by the desired attributes. Oh, well, that's what I was going to actually ask. So what sort of considerations do we need to make about personal qualities? Obviously, you've covered, you know, their academia. But what about the personal qualities that may impact their job? Okay, so I think if you've mapped out the job description clearly, you have identified, say, some of the responsibilities within that role. So that could include, you know, working under the, you know, their own supervision, maybe handling money. Um, taking orders from customers. So this would all be included in that job advertisement description that you're sending out there. So these are areas that you'd expect any candidate to apply to have experience of um, because you've outlined the accountabilities and then that could then form part of your interview questioning process. So you can actually establish how much experience they do have uh, and if they have the right skill and personal qualities to be recruited within your business. Oh, brilliant. And what sort of things do we need to think about in respect of like working hours or conditions of work? Okay, um, I think in identifying a role that needs to be recruited, you can certainly consider various options for filling a role. So traditionally, you have the normal full time or part time hours. But now you can look at, you know, flexible hours for either both full or part time. Um, the, the role could be remote now or even office based or a mixture of both. We have zero hours contract. You can outsource a role uh, and even look at recruiting a subcontractor. Uh, an apprentice as well that can train and develop within your business. So there's various options we can look at. Um, you can all, also consider recruiting maybe a part-time colleague if, the, if business is not um, fully back to normal at the moment. Uh, and then they can actually do extra overtime for you to fill those busy periods. Or if it, you know you've got a full-time role, consider maybe two part-timers because at least then when one's on holiday, the other person could cover them during those holiday periods. I think depending on your business and the skill set for the role, you'd still need to obviously understand the requirements for the employee in returns to breaks and the maximum hours that you can recruit someone for. You know, you've got the 48 hour working week under the working time directive. You know, if you're looking to take someone on under 18, then obviously they can't work more than eight hours a day. And also you have to consider all the rest periods as well, because, you know, if someone's working more than six hours or more, they have to have a 20 minute unpaid break. So I think when recruiting your first employee, um, you have to consider all of these points. You have to consider, you know, what are the hours you want to bring someone in for and then breaks that they're entitled to. And also then leading on to holidays and bank holidays, because there are extra things that you need to add into your forecast, into your budgeting, because everyone is entitled, any employee is entitled to 5.6 weeks paid holiday off a year. So if someone is out of the business, are you able to cover that time? So these are all the different things you need to factor in when looking to recruit your first employee. Okay, awesome. So how can our listeners research the market rates then when reviewing or choosing a pay for their staff? 
Okay, well, of course, they're more than welcome to contact myself uh, as a HR specialist if they if they want some advice in regards to benchmarking a role, uh, especially if it's it's a niche role. But I think the best place to start is the government website for understanding the national minimum wage and the national living wage, as these do change year on year and the set amounts do vary depending on the age of a potential candidate. Um, but if your role includes qualifications and certain types of experience, you can create your own benchmarking research by just looking at other job advertisements similar to your vacancy online to just try and get that comparison. Um, you can even contact a recruitment agency as they do do specific benchmarking surveys at various times of the year for specific industries. So they might be able to send you some findings to help you understand where to pitch your role and the salary expectations. Oh, fantastic. And I think this is really important information that our listeners you know, um, can get a grips on because, you know, if they are taking on their first member of staff, it does sound like it's a bit of a minefield and actually not getting things right from the beginning could, um, could you know, you could end up in a bit more of a pickle than you need to. So actually all this information is amazing um, to, to share with them, our listeners, and to obviously if you can help them out with. But if we know the type of person, Donna, we're looking for and what experience they need to have as well as how long we need them for, whether that be part-time, full-time or whatever, what's next? Like how do I how do I now actually go about getting someone? Okay, thanks, Charlotte. So yes, now, now we've identified this role, we've got this wonderful detailed job description. We know what attributes are essential or desirable and we know what hours we require and say the salary banding so we, we've done that so before advertising the role we need to now consider how you're going to shortlist your candidates once they start applying so will you require them to fill in say a separate application form or would their cv and covering letter you know be suffice you know do you want to include some sort of assessment which focuses on their knowledge in applying for a role you may want to include say psychometric testing which is another form of assessment which evaluates say a candidate's performance or we also do disc profiling which measures the dimensions of a candidate's personality and how they would respond to certain challenges and how they would influence others so any of this could lead then onto a you know a normal traditional interview um, you may even want to do a first one where it'd be, uh, say, an online one or via Teams or Skype, telephone interview. Uh, and then you could follow it up with maybe a more formal process of a, of a face-to-face with a competency-based questions in there. But you would need to establish what your recruitment process would be first before you then start putting your advert out there to, be, to enable you to be able to shortlist your candidates properly. And you need to do that to obviously avoid any discrimination and to ensure that you're fair and consistent throughout the whole process. So this is a time where it's ideal to maybe draw up your own interview form with all the same questions that you want to ask every candidate and also to put pointers on there about how you would explain the business, the terms and conditions of employment, and maybe what the next steps would be once you know the interview has, has taken place and how someone would come in, start with an induction and a training development programme. So you'd have to have actually all that in place before you then go to put out your advert. So once you're comfortable with that process, then we can start advertising the role. And this is where I think there's so many ways of recruiting. Um, firstly, you could probably put your advert out on your own website or socials. This could increase you know, the interest within your own personal contacts that you already have. I don't know if um, clients may have LinkedIn, which is another great social media platform, because you're linking up with people who may have the experience and skills that you desire in future employees. Of course, you can contact A4G, 
um, because we're out there, we, we're able to provide a service in regards to advertising your role and supporting you through that process. Then you're probably looking at more online job boards, such as Indeed, Total Job, Monster Jobs. Um, as it, this is the way forward, I think, in generating a lot of interest. From my own personal experience, we tend to use Indeed a lot. And it's a great place to start because you can upload your advertisement. They can help with actual testings as well. Um, you can sponsor adverts. So you, your search engines are increased. So you get a lot more coverage and interest. Um, so I think Indeed, if you're looking for a job board, Indeed is a good place to start. Another, I think a lot of people forget recruiting locally. So you could look at even putting a job advertisement up in your local co-op or shops if, if that's where um, you want to focus your recruitment. Mouse shots. If you're looking to say, I don't know, open a business or open another branch, then and you want to do a larger recruitment campaign, then you may look to the local magazines that are posted through um, doors. So you could put a joint advert in there in regards to um, recruiting people and showing that you're actually opening a, a new shop. Another area is, say, if you wanted to recruit an apprentice, you could contact your local schools and colleges um, and ask them to put an advert out, which is a great place and something we've done all the time. Don't forget your local, um, sorry, your government websites. So if you want to upload an, uh, an advert for an apprentice, that is your best place to go there as well. So there's so many opportunities to advertise. I think finally, recruitment agencies is probably if you're looking for a specific niche position. So this is where you, you're looking for an applicant that maybe has to have a certain qualification or you want X amount of experience. So of, of course, recruitment agencies is a choice that you can you can make. But just bear in mind when you are looking to use a recruitment agency, there is a fee. So when, when you used all the others, such as Indeed, that can be free, your local schools and colleges, there's only sort of a small cost involved there. When it comes to using a recruitment agency, there is a fee involved. And that could be anything from 15 to 25% of the salary that you're actually offering. So you wow. do need to consider that when using a recruitment agency and also the terms and conditions that come along with a recruitment agency so please bear that in mind but as i say with any of those choices if you're not sure then by all means you know you can drop me a line and i can explain probably the best route and give you some advice on on the best agencies maybe to use yeah fantastic i mean i didn't really realize there were so many places that people could go but that's such a like a fantastic list of you know potential i think sometimes we think oh We'll just go down the traditional route and post it on, you know, on a job site and hope for the best. But actually, business owners can be a bit more creative, I think, maybe of where they get people and target, you know, where they want to get their staff from. Um, could you just briefly talk us through some of the legal burdens of employment, such as contracts, the need for policies, that sort of thing? OK, thanks, Charlotte. I think once you've decided on your new recruit, you would need to send a successful candidate a job offer letter. This is outlining the role and explaining all the pre-employment checks that you have to, to do prior to them starting. Mm -hmm. So this can include references, um, clarifying you know, their previous positions and also if they have the right to work in the UK, which is key. And I think before the new employee starts with their job, 
they need to be given a written statement of terms and conditions of employment. And I think this is where a lot of people fall down on. They feel they've done the offer letter and that's it. Mm -hmm. But they, they are entitled, every employee is entitled to a written statement of terms and conditions of employment. Um, and this includes all the references to any of your policies or procedures and it forms part of their employment contract. So I do understand many business owners are extremely busy. And, you know, they've already taken time out to interview the candidates, put the advert out there, um, and, and they feel that the job is done. But unfortunately, it's not. You know, just giving a verbal offer isn't enough. Okay, so we need that written document. It's a fundamental part of the recruitment process. As, you know, an employment contract is, is a legally binding agreement. Um, between the two parties and it's designed to give both parties the security and the protection in setting out all the implied and explicit terms and conditions. So terms and conditions of employment should include references to all the employment legislation, for example, holiday entitlement, sick pro sickness processes, um, you know, if there's pay involved in sick, health and safety requirements, maybe, you know, something to do with the family-friendly policies, maternity and paternity, as well as sort of outlining disciplinary and grievance procedures so that's just touching on a few so you know I can imagine at this point this is where business owners worry because mm -hmm. they haven't got a clue where to start but please don't worry as there's there is help out there in designing your own bespoke contract it's something that you know we can help with and we can talk you through and actually design everything from from start to finish for you ACAS is another great resource for understanding the legal obligations so you're not alone on this one well, yeah, and I think that's really nice to know because I think, like you say, when you get into the really technical details, it can scare people and put people off and they maybe think, oh, maybe I just won't do this or I'll do something else. And I think that's when later down the line, obviously, I'm I'm assuming most of our um, listeners are business owners who want to grow their business. You know, they, they want to, um, you know, create a legacy for themselves um, and their families and things like that. So actually although that this is a hurdle, it's just another business hurdle to overcome and it can be overcome, you know, easily. And I don't want to scare anyone, um, Donna, but it's known that most industrial tribunals are won by employees due to employers pretty much not having um, or have not following the correct employment procedures. So have you got any tips about how our listeners can ensure they don't fall foul of this situation? Yes, thanks, Charlotte. This is where it gets a little bit heavy. Um, so, but unfortunately, there, there may be a time um, where employee relations are breached and employees do leave um, due to maybe a breakdown of communication and the feeling of, of being unfairly treated. So in, in having these no-win, no-fee legal firms, employees feel confident in pushing their cases forward. Therefore, it is so important that as a business owner, as an employer, you make sure all your back office admin is up to date and every employee has an employment contract from the day they started and they're actually paid correctly as specified in their contract. So, you, you know, you have policies outlining all your HR processes from holiday to absences and that you're fair and consistent with all of your team you know if you're not sure that if you're compliant then please you know say drop me an email as I say we can help you know this is where we tend to get involved unfortunately after the issue has surfaced and it becomes a lot more difficult for us to help solve the case for you but if you can have the processes in place already this prevents further action being taken uh, and mostly you know, if tribunal is something that is, is spoken about, we can resolve a lot of these already in-house without that legal representation. Um, or even during the, the ACAS arbitration, we, we tend to, you know, 
close it down at that point before it actually goes to tribunal. But as long as we've got all this back office admin set up, then you'll be fine. Yeah, fantastic. And realistically, Donna, they've only got to do this once. You know, it's the is you know if they if they're going to take on their first member of staff or their first members of staff, you know, once they have got all of these policies and procedures and written job you know job descriptions and adverts, this process can be replicated as long as they get the system in place for how they're going to recruit their staff, document that. Then, as they grow and they take on more staff, it's already there. So I think that's important for our listeners to remember. Okay, it's you know, we are going to have to set some time aside and we are going to have to get this right first time. But if you do that, then it's going to save you time in the future. You're going to potentially save future headaches. So actually, it is worth investing in the beginning. So assuming we've got all the legal side of things taken care of, tidied up, and we're all above board and all of we're taken care of as well as as our staff how can we retain some level of control over like crucial aspects of of the employees work that they do okay i think in recruiting a new employee that is the start because they need constant guidance they will need some mentoring training you know and developing to progress in your business so i think it is key from day one that every new employee receives an induction into the business. They get an understanding of their role and maybe given a training plan um, that provides all the areas that they're going to be training in. So this should all be linked back to that original job description and outline that you did right at the beginning when you knew that you had a gap to fill. So a great tool for this is probably to have a written set of systems for their role. So this enables them to be trained on their systems, which they can use themselves in every day to make sure the work that they're doing is consistent. So it could be producing certain checklists for them to follow, and that enables you then to check back to make sure they're following those systems and they're progressing and reaching a required standard. Fantastic. We've actually had a, um, a, a question in from one of our um, listeners on social media, followers on social media. They've actually just asked, which I think is a good point here to, to add in, what, what a probationary period is and would I be required to regularly review my staff? Okay, yeah, no, I think that's a great question. So I think when a new employee is recruited, they work within a probationary period. So this can be a period of time set by you as a business within your contract. So it would have already been set in your contract. So it's not something you need to, to make up. It's something you've decided that everyone has a set period of time called a probationary period. And it's a period of time for you to engage with the employee to test their performance on the suitability of a position. So if you find an employer's performance to be unsatisfactory after various training and review processes, you can then terminate their contract within that specific timescale. So a normal probationary period is three months or six months, some nine or 12, depending on what type of business you've got. But I think normal probationary periods normally sit between the three to six months. So during that probationary period, it is the employer's responsibility to ensure that they follow up with the new employee on a regular basis. So that could be through either a sit down, one to one catch up chat. It could be sessions via Skype if they're not in the same building together. But you're discussing all the key issues of their training and their development. You're setting them new goals that they can work towards and that you can review the following month. We advise to document every review conversation and it's best practice to maybe have a standard probationary form that you can fill out for every employee as they work through their probationary period. So it is recommended that any new starters progress and their performance every month is on track. So you've got that three months to analyse and to assess if they're right for the role. 
if at the end of that set period of time that you're happy and you feel that they are right, then obviously you would confirm their employment. Wow. Um, fantastic, Donna. Thank you so much for answering that question quickly um, and so succinctly, actually. Um, it's quite interesting to know that there is options for, you know, you know, having a probationary period where both the employer and the employee can test out the relationship. So that's really good to know. Um, I want to quickly touch on um, a study actually completed by the University of Oxford that suggested that happy workers are 13% more productive. And we know that to get the best from your employees, that must be motivated. So, but what does that actually mean to our business owners when they're trying to measure the happiness of their staff? Okay, yeah, thanks, Charlotte. And I think we all know happy employees are more productive. Um, with satisfied employees having that positive impact on customer relations and sales. So motivating your team can be very simple and it can be measured just for you making time to talk to your team, to keep them updated with, say, the business news and to just find out how they're feeling. As I think feeling valued is certainly motivational in knowing that you are key to the business success. You know, job security can be another key motivator which can include having the right terms and conditions of employment and knowing that you're getting paid and regularly receiving staff reviews. So it could be that providing maybe even a more flexible working environment is motivational to others, sharing positive feedback and maybe offering staff rewards. You know, being motivated is not always financial. You know, it's creating a friendly working environment with opportunities for development, with personal goals set that align with the business goals. It's just as important. Wow, fantastic, um, Donna. That is incredible information. And I just think it's important for our listeners to understand from the beginning that a carefully chosen, well-managed, fairly treated employee could just help you to enjoy the success you you perhaps wouldn't have been able to achieve on your own without the staff. However, actually having a poorly motivated and badly managed employee will at best take up most of your time. Um, so just as a final thought on this process, as we've covered so much, what would our listeners need to consider with regards to actually choosing to outsource this work rather than take on an employee to do it for them within the company? Okay, yeah, I think that's a really good question. So thanks for that, Charlotte. And yeah, outsourcing certain roles or tasks is certainly an option to consider if you do want do not want to recruit your own employee. You know, outsourcing, say, non-core activities like all your back office admin can certainly save you time and then it frees you up to concentrate on the main function of the business. I think one of the, the biggest and most obvious advantage here is it's reduced costs in labor and operations and also your overheads expenses are reduced mm -hmm. so it could then also increase efficiency because if you're outsourcing you're bringing in and maybe a specialized uh, individual that's got knowledge and experience that you couldn't actually afford to recruit yourself so you're reducing your risk there and you have an extra security from these outsourced providers so i think outsourcing is certainly something to consider especially within smaller business operations as you're bringing in the skill and keeping yourself competitive without that added cost and burden and wages and, and obviously legal employment requirements. Wow. Fantastic, Donna. Well, thank you so much. That's given um, hopefully our listeners a lot of food for thought for today. If you've got any more questions um, from our listeners, um, hopefully they can just ping them across to you, Donna. So thank you for joining us today. No, thank you. That's thank been you. fantastic. Thank you.
Well, next week will be our last episode in our Getting Started series, and we have an extra special guest joining us, so you just simply cannot miss it. So if you have any questions for us on the whole of the Getting Started series we've covered, please email them over to inquiries at a4g-llp.co.uk. In the meantime, head to our social media at A4G Chartered Accountants and make sure you follow us to stay tuned on what we have in store for you next week. Alternatively, check out our website, www.a4g-llp.co.uk. That's full of free tools, guidance, plenty of food for thought, especially with details on our business breakthrough programs, which help your business start up the right way and beyond. I've been your host, Charlotte, and this is Let's Get Down to Business.